an honor to be here with you guys. Like Pastor Daniel shared, this is just like coming home to me because I lived here for five years. Like I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco, but I really grew up in Michigan. I was 23 when I drove out here and just felt like God called me this. And, uh, and I learned that God had a lot that he needed to do in me when I was out here. And Michigan was this amazing experience for me, learning about who God was, about his anointing, his call in my life, and getting to see where the church is and seeing the amazing leadership that you have with pastors Daniel and Julia. And I was just at K-Town with Geneva and Scott. It is overwhelming to me to see goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. And so thank you for letting me come home. Thanks for letting me come and share with you today. Uh, This is just an honor. I've got so many memories on this campus. I was telling Sandra, who's been driving me, that uh, I remember we had like 30 youth that came and camped in the back of this property when we were launching the church because we did a youth missions trip from Anaheim. And uh, I like, I remember the tents back there and it's just crazy, the history of what God's done. But it's so cool to see each and every one of you here. And I pray that you are impacted today by the word of God. And so with that in mind, will you go ahead and grab your Bible out and let's say our Bible declaration together and let's say it in faith together. This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. Amen. All right. With that Bible, go ahead and open up with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. And I would just not be a good missions pastor if I did not take you to Matthew chapter 28 today. So I'm excited to do this. Matthew chapter 28. So the message title for today is this. It's called Live Sent. Live Sent. You can write that down if you're taking notes. And we're going to start here with what people often refer to as the Great Commission passage. But I want you to remember what's happening right now as we read this in just a moment. Because Jesus is bringing his disciples together. And he's talking to them. But I want you to understand the context in which he's speaking to them because his disciples have journeyed with him over the last three years. They've lived with him, right? They've seen him do miracles in their midst. They have heard teaching after teaching after teaching, right? They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him raise the dead. And then they've seen him go to the cross. They've seen him die. They've seen him be resurrected. And now he keeps appearing to them in this resurrected form. And he says, I want you to go meet with me. And this is where we're picking it up. And in Matthew 28, verse 16, I want us to read to verse 20 together. Ready, Matthew 28, 16, ready, read. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right. So he brings them together. He looks at the 11. He's like, all right, guys. 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he looks at them and he says these words. He says, go therefore. And I don't want you just to go, but I want you to go with an assignment. And he says, I want you to go and do this. I want you to make disciples. And I want you to make disciples. He says of all the nations. And that word in the Greek is ethne. I want you to go and make disciples of every people group. Now catch this. Jesus is the one who has been making disciples over these last three years. And 11 of them are standing right here before him. But now he is about to go back to be with the father. And he's looking at these guys and he's saying, here you go. He's saying, I want you to go and I want you to do what I have done. What you've seen me do in you, take that. And now I'm handing you the baton of this ministry. This ministry that I've been carrying out, proclaiming, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm giving it to you. And I want you to go and I want you to give what you've received from me. Go and make disciples. And not just to the people you know. I want you to go into all the world, right? I want you to go and make disciples of every people group. Do you know God's heart always has been for the nations? God, even in the Old Testament, you read it. He raised up Israel because he wanted them to be a light the nations. He raised up the temple because he wanted a place where all the nations could see that God was on earth and that he wanted to bless his people. And he wanted to show that through Israel. God's always had a heart for the nations. And here Jesus is saying, I've come and now I'm sending you and I want you to go. Now, I don't know about you, but this would be a weighty moment. Don't you think for the disciples? That Jesus is looking them in the eye and he's saying, it's on you guys now. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to equip you. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But the assignment is yours. Go and make disciples. Now, how many of you think that that go and make disciples was only for the 11? How many of you think that that assignment to go and make disciples is to Pastor Daniel? Only. It's to you, but not only to him. Now that call to go and make disciples, Jesus was giving this commission to each and every one of us, to any person who would believe in him as their Lord and savior. He continues, his word is alive. It continues to speak and he continues to look at each and every one of us in the eye and say, here you go, go and make disciples of all the nations. It's to each of us. And my prayer today is that you would see the love of God emanating from the face of Jesus as he looks you in the eye and says, it's to you, it's to you, it's to you. I'm telling you to go. I'm telling you to go and make disciples. But when someone takes something and hands it to you, what's the next step? You got to take it, right? Otherwise it's like, oh, that's awesome. Jesus, look at that. Look at that assignment. It's so shiny, right? That's great. The church should do that, right? Like the church, whoever they are, they should do that. But that's not how it works. No, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he's ushering a command, not only to the church, big C, but to us, the church. And he's looking at us individually and saying, will you take this assignment? Will you believe that the great commission is for you? It's for today. It's for your context. Will you go and make disciples? 
And the assignment to do this is not finished. And again, I would not be a good missions pastor if I didn't help you understand globally how this assignment is not finished yet. You know, we've got this term that we've coined, which is unreached people groups. And it refers to any people group, remember ethne, that has less than 2% of its population who are evangelical Christians. So we call them unreached because we believe that because only 2% or below actually have received the gospel, there's not enough people in that people group to evangelize the rest of that people group. So what does that mean? It means that people have to go. It means that people have got to be sent because they need help to reach the people in their people group. And 3.14 billion people on the planet today are a part of a people group that we consider unreached. See, we are so inundated wherever we go here in America, seeing churches and we've got podcasts and we've got all these things. We've got Christian books and access online to resources that we're like, doesn't everyone know? Come on, everyone's got to know. Everyone's got to have this choice. But, you know, there are 3.14 billion people that do not have access to the gospel like you and I do. And someone's got to own that. Someone's got to care about that. And I believe that that's what Jesus wants to implant into each and every one of us is for us to care, to us to realize that the heart of God is not satisfied with just one person not knowing him, let alone 3.14 billion people not having access to know him. And that our heart would break like his does and saying, God, would you use all of us to be a part of going and making disciples? And you know what? It's local too. It's caring about all of it. It's caring about Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And you know that even in Kalamazoo, the stat I found as of right now is that only 37%, excuse me, 38% of people in Kalamazoo state that they're religious. That's, that actually surprised me at how low that was. Because that means that at least 60% are not affiliated in any way with any kind of wor- house of worship. That means that six out of every 10 people that you come in contact with at Meyer, right? If you come in contact at Walmart, the gas station, six out of every 10, at least one out of every two does not know God and is going to hell. And that's I don't say these things to make us feel like, oh man, I suck. Like that's not it at all. It's to awaken us, to realize the harvest that truly is around us. Because if we live asleep, then we'll never be activated to the call of God. If we don't allow our eyes to be open to the fields, right? We won't go and reap them. And so my prayer is that we would begin to see that everywhere around us here and globally, God has an assignment still for us to do. But why don't we do it, right? Why don't we pick up the baton? What happens? Well, I know for me that often I've fallen prey to feeling inadequate. Anyone else can relate to that? Like, God, are you sure you want to hand that baton to me? Like, don't you know me? Don't you know my issues? Don't you know how easily I'm distracted, right? And yet I love what it says in Matthew 28, verse 16. And that's why we started there because Jesus has his 11 disciples and they're coming and they are worshiping the resurrected Christ. But what does it say? It says that some still doubted. Is anyone else a little baffled by that? I'm like, how did they doubt? Like it's Jesus, like right there, like that's Jesus. And that there are still things that they were working out in their own heart. But I want you to catch this. It didn't stop Jesus from handing them the baton. He still said, go and make disciples. 
I know you don't have it all together. I know that you don't feel like you've got everything you need. But remember, he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. What is the therefore? It's because of what he's done. It's because of the fact that hell and the grave, he conquered on the cross. And now he's given us his authority. And he says, because I've given you the authority, the enemy cannot stop you. If you will pick up the authority I gave you, go therefore and make disciples. I have cleared the playing field. As long as you use my name, you're going to see mountains bow. You're going to see the seas open. Whatever it is that you need, you'll see it come. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples. See, he was confident in what he was giving them. He was confident because he knew that soon in Jerusalem, something amazing was going to happen. Because remember, he tells them to go. But then as we go to Acts 1.8, he's like, actually, I want you to stay just for a minute before you go. And in Acts 1.8, he says this. He says, but you will receive power. Someone say power like they're caffeinated. All right. I got like 60% of you. Someone say power. power. There we go. That was better. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, we can feel inadequate at times. We can feel like I don't have what it takes to reach people. But here Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the power is not just to make you get goosebumps and to feel really good. No, the power of the Holy Spirit that's coming upon you is for a purpose. And when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what does he say right after that? You will be my witnesses. The power I'm giving you is to endue you with everything that you need to go out there and to make disciples of all the nations. We have everything that we need to fulfill the great commission because of the authority that Jesus has given us because of the power of the Holy spirit, because he promised to be with us through it all. There is nothing that you lack to fulfill the call of God on your life to make disciples, nothing. And if you think there is, it will hold you back. And so you've got to come around to this truth and you've got to renew your mind. No, I have everything that I need to fulfill the call of God to make disciples Regardless of how long I've come to know Jesus, it might be four months, it might be 40 years. We can still each be held up by lies of inadequacy that prevent us from crossing the road or crossing, you know, to the other car at the gas station or crossing to that other classroom when God begins to prompt us and say, hey, I want you to go talk to them. You have everything that you need to go and to make disciples. You know, the Holy Spirit is really good at witnessing. He is really good at it. And he is good at witnessing to people that are not like you. Sometimes we're comfortable with talking to people that are like us, but when we get into the like Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, we're like, but I, they don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't smell like me, whatever it might be. But do you know that the Holy Spirit is an expert at reaching them? Listen to this from Acts chapter two. Jesus told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter two, we see at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit be poured out. 
And it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, listen to this, from every nation under heaven. Is that the word? Isn't this interesting? The Holy Spirit falls on the 120 in the upper room at a time of the year when people were coming from all over to Jerusalem. And it says, when this occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another, look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? Now I want to read to you verses eight through 11 in the passion translation. And I want to do that specifically because I want you to understand in how we would talk about people groups right now, who these people were that were gathered in Jerusalem. And it says, so how is it that we hear them speaking in our own languages? We are Northeastern Iranians, Northwestern Iranians, Elamites, those from Mesopotamia, Judea, East Central Turkey, the coastal areas of the Black Sea, North Central Turkey, Southern Turkey, Egypt, Libyans, who are neighbors of Cyrene, visitors from all over the Roman Empire, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, yet we hear them speaking of the mighty wonders in our own dialect. The minute that the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 in the upper room, Man, they just hung out and they enjoyed just the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They just prayed for one another. They just had a Holy Spirit party. They just saw this is amazing. Let's just be together, guys, and just enjoy this. Is that what happened? The minute that the Holy Spirit fell, God began to reach the nations. The minute that the Holy Spirit fell, he began to work through these 120 in a way that they never imagined. They probably never imagined that they could reach people from Turkey. They probably never imagined that they could reach people from Mesopotamia. They probably never imagined that they would reach Arabs. But the Holy Spirit had a passion to reach those nations. And because they made themselves available to the infilling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he began to use them to reach the nations that were just gathered right there in Jerusalem. And do you know that when persecution then hit the church in Acts chapter 8, that the church began to disperse? And where do you think that some of these people went? They went back home. But what did they take with them? They took what God had done in them and they began to take it back to Turkey. They began to take it back to their country and they began to be used by God to spread the early church. Why? Because some people were willing to say, Holy Spirit, here am I. Use me to reach the nations. And do you know that the nations are here? They're here, right? God is doing an amazing work in this day and age of taking people and moving them all around the earth. I did just a little bit of study. I remembered from being here about how Western had a really strong international student population. And so I did just a little bit of study on what does that look like like right now? And do you know that a million students come in yearly to the United States from the nations? And 1,800 of them come right here to Kalamazoo. And of those 1,800, they represent 44 different nations that are coming to our backyard, in a sense. 
And the three countries with the highest student populations are Saudi Arabia, India, and China. Now, 524, now these are 2017 stats. 524 students are from Saudi Arabia, which is the number 15 most dangerous country to be a Christian. One of the most difficult ones to get access into. We've got 500 young adults coming right here to Kalamazoo. And it's also a place where 65% of the people are considered unreached. 423 students are coming from India, which is now, it's just been increasing in the level of difficulty to access India. Now it's at number 10 for the most difficult country to be a Christian or get access to. And like you saw on that map I showed earlier, 89% of people groups are unreached. And then in addition, you've got over 292 students from China which is now number 25 of the most dangerous countries for Christians, and 81% of the people groups are unreached, and they're right here. In Acts chapter 8, when persecution did break out and people began to spread with the gospel message, Philip was led by the Holy Spirit, and he went to Samaria, and revival began to break out. People began to get saved. But then God spoke to Philip, and I want to pick it up in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise. Someone say, Arise. And go towards the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? So the Lord speaks to Philip through an angel and says, I want you to go to this specific place. When he gets there, he sees a man who looks very different from him. He's a man from Ethiopia. And not only that, but we read that he's a man of great authority. He is serving the queen. He's overseeing finances and so I would think that there would be a lot of reasons for Philip to be a little intimidated. Imagine this Saudi Arabian prince rolls up at the Exxon station or the Shell station that you're at and his chauffeur bends. And the Holy Spirit just kind of nudges you on the inside and says, hey, why don't you to go up to his chariot? Why don't you to talk to him? So many of us would be like that is Satan. Like that cannot be the voice of God. Like that must've been some bad lunch that I had. Like, why would he want to talk to me? Right. He's just going to think I'm crazy. Anyone else ever had those thoughts sometime? And yet Philip does not see his ethnicity. Doesn't see his socioeconomic status. He knows that the spirit of God on the inside of him is leading to talk to this man and that he has something that this man desperately needs. That there's something on the inside of Philip that this man needs desperately on the inside of him. And all those other separations do not matter. And so Philip goes up to him. And I love how natural this is. I want you to catch this. Because sometimes we get like hyper spiritual and freak ourselves out. He goes up to his chariot. He sees that the guy is reading something. And he's saying, hey, do you, do you understand what you're reading? It's... It's just a natural conversation, right? And then from that, 
sparks this, no, I need someone to explain it to me. And Philip gets to unlock the gospel and the message of Jesus. And the man gets saved and then he baptizes him. And then Philip is whisked off somewhere else, which is super cool. But look at how natural it is. It's amazing how if we will just take the small steps of faith to see people when we're at the grocery store or we're in our neighborhood walking our dog or as we're going about our lunch at our workplace, if we will take the time to allow the Holy Spirit to highlight individuals to us and if we will just simply take the small step of saying, hey, what are you reading? Yeah, I've been recently traveling a lot because I'm working remotely as we prepare to deploy to the South Pacific and some traveling down to Anaheim quite a bit. And so I'll be on these flights and I've started to pray just a really little prayer and his Holy Spirit, I am available because I know that I'm going to be around a lot of people that don't know Jesus as I'm on these flights. And it's amazing how if I will just initiate conversation with the simplest of questions, Hey, are you flying home today? Or, hey, were you traveling for work? Or, hey, I like your shoes. Just the simplest of things, just to bridge the gap, to make that connection with that person. How all of a sudden one question leads to another. And as I ask them what they do, they begin to ask me what I do. And as they begin to share about, oh, their journey with faith and how they grew up as a Catholic or as a Christian scientist, and how they are now when they begin to ask me about what my thoughts are in society and where's things going with the next generation. And, you know, what do I think about this religion or that? And I get to share my testimony of how God impacted me, how he grabbed me when I was 19 years old and showed me that there was a call on my life and that there was a real relationship I could have with him. And I get to share these things. Why? Because I asked a question because I made myself available to the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how God will use us in each and every place that we are to make disciples. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Where are you? Now, I know you're in this building right now, but where are you on Monday? And where are you on Tuesday? And where are you on Wednesday? That is your everywhere. If you will see it that way. If you will say, Jesus, that baton is not just to the church in general. That baton is for me. And so wherever I go, I go as an ambassador for Christ. I go as light in darkness. I go with the commission on my life to make disciples in my neighborhood, in my school, in my place of work. I am there for a purpose. Do you know that in the Bible, missionary is never mentioned? It's not there. We kind of came up with it. In the 1500s, the Jesuits were sending people out to further Christianity. And they took a hold of a Latin word, which is missio, and means to be sent. And they began to refer to people as missionaries. And as I've been on this journey of being sent out, man, I just feel like the Lord has been showing me this is not about a select few. The level of intentionality that me and my husband have to live our life with because we know the people that we're called to, it's not for just us. This is the kingdom of God. This is how we are all called to live because each one of us are supposed to live sent because each one of us has had Jesus look us in the eye, whether or not we accept it or not, he has. And he said, will you go? And will you go might be your school. Will you go might be your workplace. But do you know where you are sent to? Because when you begin to take hold of this, that God has a people for you, 
And you begin to make yourself available to the Holy Spirit. Things get shaken up in your life in a very fun way. Because let me tell you, Jesus did not come just to add the Great Commission to your life when it's convenient. Like, oh, like, you know, I'm really full. I've got like soccer for my kids this night. And, I, and soccer's great, played soccer. I've got, you know, I've got this over here on this night. And I'm part of the bowling league, right? So I think on Saturdays or maybe just on Sundays, I can fit in the Great Commission. It's not like that. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, he was saying, no, this is your life. And so wherever you go, whatever you do, it falls underneath the greater assignment that is on you to make disciples. So let's say you're a doctor. You were a doctor with the assignment to make a disciples. Let's say you're a stay at home mom. You are a stay at home mom with the assignment to make disciples. And guess what we are going to answer for at the end of our life when we see Jesus face to face? How did you make disciples? Because that's the command he left with each and every one of us. And it's not a have to. It's a get to. It is living our life on the greatest adventure possible where we are partnering with God to see his will and his kingdom come to pass. And it's fun. I can tell you after 15 years of doing it, it is fun. And there's nothing more satisfying, gratifying, or fulfilling than living your life on mission and seeing lives transformed by the gospel. But we have to take a hold of it and we have to say yes. And I want to finish with just two thoughts on living scent that are so important. Number one is this. We need to live scent within community. We need to live sent within community. This command to go and make disciples, it's simple, but it's not easy because we've got so many things distracting us on a regular basis. We've got work, right? We got bills. We got issues with our kids, issues with our parents, issues with our neighbor. We got so many things distracting us, pulling at our time, our attention, our priorities, that we must be part of a community that helps us remember the bigger picture of what God's doing in our life and in the world around us. We need people that we can lock arms with. Do you know that Jesus did not send out the 70 one by one? He sent them out how? Two by two. Did you know that Paul didn't go out by himself? There was a couple times, but very rarely. He almost always traveled with multiple companions as he was doing his missionary journeys. When Jesus was on that mountain and he's giving the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. It was not just to Peter. He did it to the 11. We have to live in community with people who are saying, hey, how are you living sent this week? How are you living sent at your job? How are you bringing Jesus into your school today? We must live with people that help us in that way. And then also, secondly, is we got to be a people of prayer. We have to be a people of prayer. How many of you in here are thankful for people that prayed you to Jesus? I know I am. I'm so thankful for a praying mother that prayed me back to the Lord when I was 19. If we are people who are going to go and make disciples. We have to be people who know how to fight for others in prayer. If I was to talk to you and we were to sit down and have coffee and I'm telling you about how me and my husband are called to the South Pacific or be doing OSL and you know, we're also going to be planting in New Zealand and we're going to be helping lead pastor at church there. And if I was telling you these things and you saw me and you asked me and you said, hey, Pastor Jessica, how are you praying for the people that you're being sent to? And if I was to look at you and respond and say, pray? Oh, we're not praying. 
we're just going. What would you think? You think, man, you're really not serious about your assignment, are you? Because everything has to start with prayer. And so me and my husband, we set aside time every week that we are intentionally praying because there are spiritual strongholds over countries and over cities and over schools and over places of work that are holding people back from Jesus. There's a spiritual warfare that we have to get involved in to see disciples made. And so it would be ignorant. It would be impotent of me to say, I'm going, I've got a people I'm sent to. I have a mission field, but I'm not praying. Wouldn't make any sense, right? You guys agree with me? And so my question is for you today, what is your mission field? Who are you contending for in the spirit? How are you praying and fasting for your school or your neighborhood? Because this level of intentionality of seeing the disciples made here in Kalamazoo and worldwide, it's for all of us. All of us should have this burning desire and a life that aligns with the mission field that God is calling us to. So I want you to do this. If you've got something that you can write on, I want you to get that out. And I want us to take a moment bringing our hearts before the Lord and allowing him to do what only he can do. And that is to whisper to us about the unique purposes, plans, and assignments for our life individually. So I'm going to pray, but I want to encourage you just to open up your heart right now and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you don't disqualify any of us. That each and every one of us, you have called to lift up our eyes and realize that we are a part of what you're doing to save the nations right here in our backyard and around the world. And so, Lord, we need your help. Lord, we need to know in this season of our life, the people that you've called us to reach. Lord, we need your help to have fresh eyes, fresh eyes of love to see the places and the spaces that we go to on a regular basis and to see them through your eyes, God, to see the need there where we've just seen our coworkers or we've just seen other students or we've just seen people. Lord, that you would awaken us to seeing the need for Jesus. You'd awaken us, God, to see that we've got what they need. And it's not based off of our ability. It's based off of our availability before you. And so I want you to do this right where you are. I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what are those fields in your life that he's calling you to get intentional about. Who are the people around you that he wants you to begin to pray for and fast for and begin to make the steps of faith to build relationship with or to get closer to? So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Will you speak to us? Show us our mission field. Thank you, Lord.
Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond personally to the Lord today. If you feel like God has whispered to your heart and you're seeing, maybe you've already seen it or maybe for the first time, you're beginning to see the people that he's called you to intentionally reach. I want you to respond to that. You know, there's this beautiful interaction in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah is in the presence of God. He sees him enthroned in his glory. And in the midst of that, he speaks and says to God, send me because he realizes the brokenness of the people and how they need to know about this real living God. And he just whispers and says, send me. Here am I, God, send me. Not worrying about the sacrifice that he might need to make, but overwhelmed by passion for the heart of God for these people. Here am I, God, send me. And this morning, if you're wanting to maybe commit for the first time to living a life that's sent, or maybe you're renewing that commitment before the Lord, saying, God, help me to reawaken to this assignment. Help me to reawaken to the need around me. And you're wanting to make that commitment, God, here am I. Send me. I know I don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers. I've got my own issues, but God, I'm available. Here am I. Send me. I want you just to go ahead and raise your hand. I want you to raise it high because you're not raising it to me. You're raising it to the Lord this morning. And you're saying, here am I, God. I see the people. I see the fields. I see they are ready for the harvest. And I will make myself available. Use me as you will, God. Make me like Philip. Help me to overcome the things that hinder me from reaching out to others. Here am I, send me. Father, I thank you for these men and women. Lord, I thank you that you have called them right here, right now, because you have a purpose and a plan for them that is so much greater than anything that they could have ever imagined. And Lord, I thank you for taking them by the hand and leading them forward. Lord, I thank you that every limitation would break off in the name of Jesus. Every bit of wrong thinking would break off in the name of Jesus. Lord, that apathy would break off in the name of Jesus. Lord, that there would be this fresh consuming fire of love for the nations that would overwhelm them. And Lord, that they would take the steps of faith to begin to reach out to the people around them. And Lord, I pray that you would also bring them to their knees, God, in prayer, in crying out for salvation for those around them. And Lord, we thank you for the harvest that we will see of lives impacted because of what you do in us and through us. You can go ahead and put your hand down. And Father, I declare your blessing over the Rock Kalamazoo, Lord, over this West Side campus. Lord, I thank you that he who began a good work here is going to be faithful to complete it. Lord, I thank you that you are going to bring the vision to pass that you've put in Pastor Daniel and Julia's heart. Lord, I thank you for revival to break out in this area. Lord, I thank you that we are going to continue to see your faithfulness and goodness at an accelerated pace here. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to raise up leaders in the midst of this house. Lord, people who live large for Jesus, who are willing to sacrifice, who are willing to push to see your will be done and allow the spirit of God to move through them in new and creative ways. Lord, be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...
Amen. Amen, Master Daniel.